Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's rising agent is Kate Hamlin with Century 21 Hometown Brokers in Billings, Montana. Last year, Kate closed 29 transactions with a total sales volume of $5 million. Her average price was $172,000. 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. She operates as an individual agent, a sole practitioner. Kate works the small market of Billings, Montana, with a population just north of 100,000. She started her career as an engineer, but quickly and successfully transitioned into real estate sales. Kate specializes in generating referral business by joining and networking inside the Chamber of Commerce and the Economic Development Board. She also participates in the leads group she helped form. Listen closely to how Kate uses free and low-cost technology to manage her communication and scheduling. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Kate. Thank you. Kate, the first thing I'd like to do is go back to your life before real estate and, and chat about that for a minute. Can you tell us what you were doing before you got into real estate? Sure. Um, I had graduated from the University of Kansas with a degree in architectural engineering. And my, my emphasis was both construction management as well as mechanical engineering for buildings. So I was hired on with MKK Consulting Engineers in Denver, and that was my plan, was to be a big city girl in Denver for a while. But plans changed, and before the moving truck even left the parking lot for my apartment in Kansas, I got transferred to the Billings office, Billings, Montana, for MKK Consulting Engineers. I didn't even know that Billings was in Montana at that point, so it was a bit of an adjustment for me. Um, But it was only supposed to be for about six or eight months. So I happily agreed and moved up here, and I was working as a mechanical engineer for MKK Consulting Engineers, doing primarily mechanical systems for buildings in schools in Wyoming. And how long did you do that? Um, Goodness, I probably did that for close to three or four years before I actually lost my dad to lung cancer, which is what caused me to stop, smell the roses, and realize that engineering just wasn't the best fit for me. I'm sorry to hear about that. So you lost your father and and that woke you up? It did. Yep. It just caused me to stop and pause and realize that life is short and I need to do something that makes me happy. I want to wake up and be excited to work in the morning instead of, you know, I just was in a position where I really would rather have a broken arm than go to work. You know, it's just it's not a good situation when you wake up and, and you'd rather be ill than, than go do the job that you spend 40 to 60 plus hours at per week. So it was time for a change. Why did you pick real estate? 
Well, in typical engineer fashion, I sat down and I made all sorts of lists on what could I do with the degree that I had, the skill set that I already had obtained through all the education and, and diligence that I'd put into engineering. And that list just didn't sound like very much fun, to be perfectly honest. So I made a separate list. And, and what I said to myself was I'm going to write down anything in the whole wide world. If astronaut or neurosurgeon sounds good, I'm going to write it down on my list no matter what education I have to go back and obtain. And actually, real estate agent was on, number one on the list. Um, what my goal was is to find a profession where I could really help people um, but not have to necessarily go into counseling. I didn't think I'd probably make a very fantastic psychiatrist. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit too blunt for that. Um, so that wasn't a good fit. Um, I really love buildings. I love architecture. Um, I like helping the general public. And so it, it just seemed to fit. Real estate seemed to be the obvious choice for me. Was anyone in your family a, a real estate agent or broker? No, definitely not. Wow. So it just came out of the blue to you. It did. Well, let's go back to the early years. By the way, how long have you been in the real estate business? Um, going on six years. When you first got into the business, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? Definitely a fast start. Why do you think you had a fast start? I believe it was from the credentials that I carried into my real estate career. If someone can hack it through engineering school and practice as a mechanical engineer for buildings, I think people inherently trust that there's a level of competency, ability, and, and brain power that goes along with that. And I think conversely, real estate agents don't always have the best reputation in town um, with only needing a GED or high school education plus 60 hours of training. It's a fairly easy business to get into and we get a lot of people that don't stick it out. There's not a lot of longevity in our career path. And so I believe having somebody that had that education level change in, people trusted me automatically without much hesitation, I would say. How did you get the message out to people so they knew you had these credentials? Well, I had a pretty decent, it wasn't a fantastic base of friends established in the Billings area. I'm not from here. Um, so I had a small core group that I had met when I was an engineer the people that I had interacted with in my professional life as an engineer, I had told all of those people that I was ceasing to be an engineer and what I was choosing to go into, not necessarily because I thought it was going to build my business, but it was just the natural thing to do when I was transitioning out of my role in the engineering company to tell people that someone else was going to be taking care of them from now on and this is what I'm doing. So if, if you ever need me, you can still find me, but, but I'll be in this capacity instead. My cell phone number isn't going to change. And it was amazing to me how many of those people were already thinking about real estate that sat in my own office and I wasn't even aware of it. So I did get a pretty good start from my, my engineering friends as well as from outside friends. Uh, I also sent letters, you know, kind of the stereotypical real estate thing to do. You take your sphere of influence and you write a letter and say, gee, I'm having this fantastic career change and and this is how you get a hold of me, and this is what I'm planning to specialize in. And I'm not sure that did me any good, but it probably didn't hurt me either. Let's move forward to last year where you closed your 29 units. First, let's talk about the market in Billings. What is your current market like? Our current market is definitely slower than it was 
three to five years ago. I think everyone in the country is experiencing something similar. I do believe that we're lucky in Billings, Montana, as we're a little bit more insulated than what a lot of the rest of the country has been. We didn't see a lot of shooting up in prices, so we're not seeing a lot of decline in prices either. We tend to be a more conservative community, so there wasn't a lot of three, five, and seven-year arm loans that were done here. There wasn't a lot of creative financing that happened here. So we haven't had the short sale and the REO market that a lot of the other places in the country have had. Our prices, gosh, you know, they they kind of keep floating right around that $200,000 mark for our average price. You know, sometimes it's in the 190s and sometimes it's 203 to 205. And we're, we're still pretty lucky. Our, our units of sales have gone down, but we're still getting on average 96 to 97% of the list price when we close a transaction. Our days on the market, if you track it, the latest and greatest market update I looked at was 79 days on market before an accepted offer. I count myself pretty lucky to be living in this market. That's a great market. Well, let's talk, uh, have you identified uh, any type of niche or specialization that you work in that market? I primarily work with residential real estate. I do a little bit of commercial real estate as well. My primary focus in commercial is helping with lease tenants finding them a space. I do occasionally some land here and there. In Billings, our market isn't huge. So there, I, when studying other marketplaces, I see that people really focus on being only a buyer's agent or only a seller's agent, or only on historic homes or only on luxury homes. And in my experience in Billings, it's just too small of a market. You can't really specialize yourself that way if you intend to actually make a living doing this. So you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. Let's talk about your lead generation system. How are you generating your business? What's your number one source of business? My number one source of business would have to be my sphere of influence and referrals to and from that. I don't have a gigantic base from when I started, but the more I've gotten involved in the community, the more I can link people together. Um, I guess that's why LinkedIn is so popular is it really does help generate business. So I've, I've decided to get very involved in the Chamber of Commerce and very involved at the Economic Development Corporation here in Billings. And I've stood on both boards and partake in the meetings, weekly meetings, sometimes multiple meetings a day. And if you do that for enough years, I've met enough people over the years that the sphere just keeps growing. And even if they don't necessarily need a real estate agent, their uncle might their neighbor might, and and that's been a good source of business for me. Do you try to develop a database of these folks and keep in contact with them uh, systematically, or is it just that you're around all these people in the network and you're bumping into them all the time? I definitely don't do as good a job as I should with my lead generation. I don't use any system like Top Producer or anything like that. I, I simply use my Gmail for my my email in Google Apps. I don't keep as good a notes as I should about the last time I had contact with X, Y, or Z individual. I just am trying to constantly stay in front of people at, at meetings and appointments, making phone calls and, and emails. When I, whenever I think of somebody, I might be driving down a road that I know one of my clients live on, even though they haven't purchased anything yet. 
I call and say, hey, I'm just thinking about you. It's been a while since we've talked. You don't have to call me back to tell tell me anything about real estate, but I just want to know how you're doing. And so I think just trying to stay top of mind and actually interact with other people's lives and care what they're doing day to day has helped tremendously. Do you have a sphere of influence list? You mentioned initially that that's kind of what you did. You you had a list of all your friends and you start to touch base with them. Uh, Do you still do that? I've tried different things over the years. When I very, very first started, I did compile, I think, over 200 people, everyone and anyone that I knew in Billings, including my mechanic, my hairstylist, the lady who does my nails, anyone I could think of, my accountant. And I, I hunted on Google and looked for their home address and compiled an Excel spreadsheet and sent a letter out to every single one of them. I don't know... Like I said earlier, I don't know that that really helped my business. It probably couldn't have hurt. But I used that same list, and then I, I set up mailers for my my sphere of influence, and I also set up a farm area. I picked a part of town that I was interested in, and I did mailers there. I really don't believe that that has done any good, solid business for me. Um, I know that it's something that our office had recommended that we do, but I don't, I've tried to change it up several different ways over the years with the different products. Um, I use Merrill Corporation since I work with Century 21. Merrill used to be our our print producer. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but I was able to, to create newsletters that I could mail out and they were professional and they had good stock photography. I could select from different articles to put in there that were of interest and it was more around the house type of stuff you know how do you most effectively spring clean and here's a way to be a little bit more green and spruce up your patio by doing this project here and and it was just kind of an informative fun um, homey type of newsletter I set up a survey probably about six months ago to ask the people in my sphere, if they found that informational, if they read it, if it just went straight to the recycle bin, if it was annoying to them to receive that information, if they found it helpful, if it was a neutral item. And I got mixed feedback. You know, there were several people that read it from cover to cover each time, but then there were other people that didn't like receiving that at all. Um, Of course, that's what you expect from a survey is diverse results. I've switched to trying to do something more in an email format. Century 21 provides a life at home newsletter for free that you can build that's similar to that homey printed version. Um, And instead of costing me several hundred dollars each time I mail that out, it's free. People can unsubscribe easily if they don't want to be bothered. And I can figure out who's reading it, how many times they've opened it. And I found that that's a better way, in my personal opinion, to to track what I'm doing since direct mail is so difficult to track. And are you able to track some results from this email campaign? I wouldn't say that I can directly track that yet. I I don't do as good of a job with my Google Analytics, even though I have it set up for my personal website, and I have it set up for my Facebook page. I have it set up for these email campaigns. I haven't been doing it long enough to be able to trend anything in my personal opinion, but I do believe that it hasn't hurt. The people that open those newsletters the most, I can think of two past clients that open it more than five times every time I send it out, but I've only sent it out twice. 
they open it multiple times, and those two regularly touch base with me if they have a parent that needs something or if they're curious about adding a vacation home to their property or even if they want my personal opinion on, gosh, I'm going to frame in a room. What do you think the best way to do this in my family room is? So I, they use me as the real estate resource, which is the goal, of course. So most of your business is coming from this interaction where you're out in the market in your network, in the Chamber of Commerce, Economic Development Board, and you're bumping into people who have an interest. Are they just bringing this up or are you putting it out there that, hey, I'm, I am a real estate agent. Do you know anybody who's thinking about buying or selling? I don't frequently ask for business, but one of the weekly meetings that I'm involved with is with the Chamber of Commerce is called Connections. And it's basically a leads group. I wouldn't say it's a leads group in the traditional, you have to bring X amount of leads and and they have to be qualified. It's not like that. It's more of a, there's one person from each individual niche. So I'm the only real estate agent that sits around that table every Thursday morning from 1030 to 1130. I've done it for years now. It takes a while to establish a relationship in our type of business to where somebody's going to trust you with the biggest investment that they have. Um, if I sold promotional products and they were just buying a t-shirt with a brand on it, it, you know, that kind of trust is developed much more quickly. It's taken a while for that to pay off, but I really feel like those people that sit around the table with me, even though it ebbs and flows, sometimes we have two or three new members a week. Other times we don't have any changes in the group for months. People come and go. I'm, I'm one of the original kind of charter members of that particular Thursday group that's been going on for probably four years now. I've won awards because of people in that group that have heard me and my story. I've gotten business that is successfully closed from that group. And and what we do is we go around the table and say, hi, I'm Kate Hamlin with Century 21. Here's what's going on in my world. And it's it's kind of a a two-minute commercial every single week in front of this group of people and we get to know each other on a personal basis and develop friendships and play dodgeball after work together and such. So it's it's been effective. And you're one of the charter members. So is that how the leads group came about? You and some other folks got together initially or did you look for a lead group and join that one? I looked for a leads group. The chamber already had one other, possibly two other, I can't remember, but they already had that program established and they already had a real estate agent in that niche. And so they put me on a waiting list. And when there were enough people that we could form a new day, a new time, a new group, I was one of those people that was in that original bunch for that day and time. So that, like I said, we've had a lot of changes over the years. There's probably out of about 30 to 40 people in the group, there's probably only about three or four of us that are original that have been there the entire time. And so it takes time to establish new trust and new relationships with the people that come. And it's something that I try and attend every week, but there's times in business, just as every real estate agent knows, that you have to prioritize. And if you're negotiating a contract, you just can't make the meeting that week. How many members do you have or the average number of members in this this leads group? Is it five people or 10 people? No, on average... There's 30 to 40 members at any given time, and and the meetings fluctuate. I'd say the lightest meeting I've seen in a long time has been 20, 
but frequently we'll have 30 plus people sitting around the table we almost don't fit anymore in the room. We have a really fantastic Chamber of Commerce here in Billings. We're lucky to be in the top 1% all across the country. Um, we're five-star accredited with the United States Chamber Association, so it's, it's pretty fantastic what we have to offer here in Billings for such a small community. And by small community, we, we have over 100,000 people in Billings, and our metro area is even larger than that. But you know, comparatively speaking, we're certainly no Phoenix and no Denver or anything like that. You mentioned LinkedIn. Do you participate in LinkedIn? I do. Has that generated business for you? It's been an interesting ride so far. I haven't been as participatory as I should be because as social media, you get in what you put out. And if you're not participating, you're, you're never going to benefit, in my personal opinion. And I was able to more fully develop my online profiles in Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn as well as all of the other periphery online profiles that we have as realtors across the board, whether that be LoopNet for commercial realtors, um, your own personal website, the company's website, the franchise's website. It seems like every time I turn around, I'm building a new online profile somewhere. And I was able this winter, when business was slower than what I would have loved to have had, I was able to spend that time not only doing education, but bringing all my profiles up to speed so it's the same headshot and everything and, and my description on each online profile matches. Um, and so I was able to more fully develop my LinkedIn profile this past winter, and I've joined a couple of groups. And there's some really amazing people out there, other real estate agents from across the country. And you can find almost anything that you want to know in the groups, either on LinkedIn, on Active Rain. Um, on Facebook with the Young Professional Network through the Association of Realtors. There's just gobs and gobs of information out there. So I have been able to connect with some people, but it can take over if you're not careful. You know, you can be incredibly productive in your social media with other real estate agents and not be producing anything in your local market. So I have to learn to balance that a little bit better to where I am contributing as well as listening in the social media world and being active in my local community and, and helping the clients that I have in front of me. It sounds like the way you're using social media right now is to tap into a network of other agents as opposed to tapping into groups of buyers and sellers. Is that correct? It's been the easiest group to find other agents. That's certainly for sure. That's not my end goal, however. I mean, truly... My presence in social media, I want to be able to learn from other agents and help other agents in areas where I might have experienced something that they're asking questions on. But ultimately, my goal is to build myself as my local real estate expert here in my market. And that way, when somebody is moving to town and they're looking for a realtor that's knowledgeable and transparent, if they're in the Gen X or Gen Y age range, they're most likely going to look for me online first. And they'll be able to see a lot of history and what I do and what I'm involved with and how I respond to questions. And hopefully that will transition into more business in the future. Ah, so you're trying to turn this into a, a relocation source. Absolutely. That brings me to another question. Could you please tell us what Life Launch is? Yes. Uh, when I first started in real estate, I wanted to help 
everybody. I wanted to be an expert at everything. And you heard me mention earlier that in our marketplace, you have to be a little bit of jack of all trades in order to be able to make a living here. You can't just focus on one thing specifically and, and be effective and make a living that's um, going to earn you a wage where you can pay your mortgage and eat. So I, I tried to focus a little bit and say, what am I good at? What have I done? And my goodness, I have moved a lot of times. I moved over, I want to say, 13 times in 11 years, I think is what I ended up counting. I started in the Midwest. I went away to college in Kansas. Um, I've traveled across, not the entire world, but I've traveled a lot within the world. I've moved a lot, switched apartments here and there all over the place. And I feel like I've gone to different states where I don't know anyone an awful lot. And so I, I kind of have that process down. And when I moved to Billings, my, my experience, unfortunately, wasn't as pleasant as it could have, should have, would have been. Had somebody been there to tell me, check here or check there, or this is a great local resource for information on what to do at night. And here's a really fantastic place to go and listen to bluegrass music and have breakfast in the morning. And, and those types of things are just missing when you move to a community that's more mom and pop. And that's what Billings is. We're more mom and pop here than we are franchise. And so when I was used to Denver, it was easy to find a Qdoba or Chipotle or any sort of other franchise. I could find um, Man Republic. I could find, I could find all of these things that were nationwide and had store locators. But the things you miss when you're in Billings is we don't have a Banana Republic. And so if you want to look for Marcasa clothing, you don't even know what it's called if you don't live here and you don't happen upon it on accident. And so I try and be the local resource for people in the Billings, Montana area and say, whatever you need. Maybe your spouse needs employment. Maybe your children need activities. Maybe you need to know what your local grocery store is even called because if you're moving here from Florida and you're used to Winn-Dixie, that's not what it's called here. We've got Albertsons. And, and if you move to a section of town called the Heights, your grocery store is going to be different than if you move to Central Billings. And so I just try and acclimate people and give them kind of a, I guess I would call it my, my modified yellow pages to the community for here's what the local restaurants are called and what the cuisine is and and here's the address and phone number for them. And, and it's broken down kind of by neighborhoods. If you live in West Billings, this is what's close to you. Here's your dry cleaner. And here's trusted mechanics and pediatricians and opticians and just things that when you move, you don't think of. Um, so I try and be the local expert for people in that manner and give a two to three hour tour of Billings to those people that are coming here for free just so I can get them in my car, establish a relationship with them, and even if they don't need to purchase real estate in the next two to six months, hopefully they'll think of me in two years when maybe they've decided, okay, now that I have my head wrapped around this community, I've decided I love the tree streets and that's where I want to live. And so I'm going to call Kate because I remember that we spent a lot of time interacting and she was really helpful on where to take my wife for brunch on Mother's Day. So let's call her and see what we can find in the tree streets. So that's kind of my goal. Life Launch is, is kind of a modified version of a relocation company. Um, I do have experts in different realms that, that help me tie that together. So I have um, a mover that I think is really fantastic that can go nationwide. I've got an employment services agency. I interviewed all of them in Billings, and I found somebody who 
doesn't do just temp stuff, but they do permanent placement for um, a higher wage job. So you know, frequently when people think of a temp agency, they think, oh, if I need a secretary for two days, I'm going to call them. But no, nope, this isn't just that. If you have an engineering degree, they can place you. If you have a doctorate, they can place you, and that's kind of what they specialize in. I've got books from a, a publisher that help people understand relocation for their children, coloring books to help them work through some of the emotions that happen when you have to leave your old friends behind and start to make new friends. Um, I've, I've partnered with um, a psychologist that has helped people understand change and the fear of change and what, what the process of change looks like. And if you don't address it early and effectively, what that can do to a move. Um, he doesn't specifically do change for moving, but he talks about change in general and, and the three different phases of change. So I've tried to build um, a value-added service to my real estate with Life Launch that helps me really ground people when they move here and knit them into the fabric of the community instead of them feeling like they're standing on the outside looking in. Is that a website then, a Life Launch? Is it lifelaunch.com? If you go to lifelaunch.com, it's going to be the same landing spot as katehamlin.com. You're going to mostly see the real estate portion of that, but there is a link if you go in for the community link that will describe a little bit of Life Launch. And um, I'm not, I haven't marketed that as effectively as I should. I'm terrible at making cold calls. And so without somebody who knows somebody who can get me in front of the director who's in charge of relocations for a large company, I don't do well. Um, you know, I, the hospitals in town and the large corporations in town have all been bombarded with real estate agents who want that as a source of business. You know, everybody wants to help a doctor move because a doctor is probably going to buy an expensive home. And so that's one of the first things that agents in the business think of is, how can I get in with the hospital or how can I get in with the clinic and how can I get in with the refineries? You know, they think of all the high paying jobs that we have in town and those poor HR people get assaulted. Um, and so I haven't been as effective as I should be with that marketing strategy, but it's been, it's proven effective for the people that I have helped in that manner. So basically people who are moving into town that you bump into you after you've met them, turn them on to Life Launch? Yeah, it, that is one way. I do talk about it occasionally at my chamber meetings at, you know, for, for instance, Connections, because I do sit around the group with um, employers sometimes or employees that are in decision-making roles in their company. And so that has been more of a spotlight for that business, but I'm, I'm not as in tune with that marketing as I, I could work that business and I'm sure do a much greater transaction number per year, but it's an uncomfortable thing for me to go out and, and basically cold call. So I know I could work it more if I put the effort into it, but that's my own personal hump that I need to get over. Life launch is not generating business. It's not like somebody goes on the internet and they bump into it and they see you, and they kind of come in that way. It's the other direction. You bump into people, you bring them in to your, to your business, and then you offer them this service, this extra value-added service of Life Launch to make sure they can interact in the community. Yes. However, it has brought me in some business, primarily through the chamber. They do 
tell people I'm I'm one of the only relocation businesses listed in our member resource guide. And so I have gotten phone calls and leads from that. And I I have been a spotlight at the job fair. I was I was the speaker at the job fair for Billings one year. And so that has gotten me some business in the past. I I have had inbound leads because of that company, but like I said, I don't I don't work it like I should. I I probably could keep almost full time busy with that, but the conversion rate hasn't been hasn't warranted me going down that path full time because it isn't making the bills as steadily. The people that come, even though I do my darndest to help them adjust, don't always stay. And if they do come, they're not always um, income and credit qualified. They might be really friendly people, but if they have a 570 credit score, it doesn't matter how much money they make. So I have found that even though I think it's a good service and I'm going to continue to provide it, it, it doesn't give me the qualified leads that working a more full aspect of the real estate business has given. Let's talk about when somebody does show up on your radar, somebody does come in and they're thinking about buying or selling a home. How do you capture that person, that information and start tracking it? Are you doing it manually? Uh, do you use a computer program? What do you do to, to take that lead in and make sure you start following up with them? Uh, I am doing it manually. I am a hardcore online calendar user, and so that's probably the best way that I track my things. I have not ventured into any software programs that could help me with that, such as Top Producer. I have done a little bit of studying on CRM type of information, and, and Amy Shiro with Century 21 is really into technology. I've listened in on her webinars. I haven't made the leap to do that, although it probably would be beneficial for my business. It's more of um, just my gut feel. As interactive as they want to be with me, I will be interactive back. So if I'm given a phone number or a name, whether I meet them at an open house or it's a referral or however, however that lead may get to me, I'll follow up immediately, of course, um, have a a standard conversation with them. Hi, I'm Kate Hamlin with Century 21, and I understand that you're in the market to either buy or sell, you know, whichever they're looking to do. And so first order of business is I usually find out if they're already here in Billings. If so, and they're a seller, you know, gosh, what time will I be able to come over and, and take a look at your home? And I'll, I'll do a comparative market analysis at no cost. I'll go through the report with them. I have a listing presentation that I do in Keynote because I'm a, a Mac user. Um, so I, I go down that path with a seller. And with a buyer, of course, it's just kind of taking their temperature. You know, it, Some buyers are kind of sort of curious but don't want to buy anything for a year or two, and other buyers are hot to trot, and they want to make a purchase and close within 45 days. And so, of course, every every client is individual and every experience is a little bit different, but just I try and respond with the urgency level that they show me. You keep their information on a piece of paper and a notebook. You mentioned you have a calendar. Do you try to keep their information in there? Yep. I, I do use Google. So I use um, Google Apps, which 
I have a Gmail account, but I'm able to use my personal domain email with that. Um, so Gmail is my source for my, my incoming and outbound emails. I have folders for everything and everybody, so I keep everything organized in that fashion. I use Google Contacts, um, so that ties nicely into my Gmail as well as my Google Calendar. Um, the three of them work very nicely together. There's no cost for me to do that, and I have a Droid phone, and so that all ties very nicely with my phone wirelessly for no extra fees. Um, and I'm effectively able to manage my, my client base that way. That's great. And that's a free program. That's a free program, yes. You talked a little bit about your follow-up. It sounds like you base your frequency of follow-up on the timeline of the, the lead that comes in. If they're going to be doing, you said, 45 days, you'd probably be contacting them how often? Probably daily if they want to close something in 45 days. You know, with a buyer, our multiple list allows us to be able to set them up on an automated search. And so that's order of business number one, generally speaking, when I'm working with a buyer is making sure that they're pre-approved, understanding what their needs are, plugging that into our multiple list and setting them up so that every time a match meets their criteria, it automatically emails that match to them when it hits the market, within seconds of it hitting the market. And that way, they're able to be as responsive as they want to be with that lead. Um, for a new home or a new land or new, new whatever they're looking for, uh, new property in general. And so if, if they want to set up an appointment to see a house every single day, I'm going to do my best to accommodate that schedule. If they want to see 10 in a row and we, we run for five to seven hours, you know, covering probably 50 miles of, of ground from one direction to the other, we'll do that. You know, it, it's all up to how aggressive they want to be with it. And I also watch the hot sheet, which is all of the, the new listings that come on. I watch the price reductions, the back on markets. I watch what goes, goes under contract, what closes, what expires, what's withdrawn from our market. And I try and keep in mind what those clients have told me that they want and what they need. Once we go out and we do a little bit of property shopping together, I have a much better accurate idea of what their level of commitment is to doing a remodel project or if they want something that's brand new and already done. And I'm able to more fit that property to that client. So if I see something that comes on the market, even if it's been emailed to them, if I think it's a good buy, I'll initiate that contact with them and say, hey, have you seen this property? Why don't we schedule an appointment when it's convenient for you? And that's just a, a good way for me to keep in touch with them and, and help them stay on top of the market. What if a buyer or seller comes in and they're not ready to do anything for, say, six months? How would you follow up with them? Um, same method. I, that initial contact would be the same. I would ask them to go ahead and get working on their pre-approval letter just so they know what price range is going to be comfortable for them for the money that they're interested in spending. Talk a little bit about what the down payments are for the different properties and different loan types so that they have an idea of what it's going to take to get them into the property that they think that they want. Still set them up on the automated search for the multiple list. Those expire every 120 days in our multiple list system. So every 120 days for somebody who wants to look or purchase in six months, you know, I touch base with them 
Um, probably when that search expires is a good time for me to touch base with them. If they have contacted me back during that time, you know, if a property comes through that they're interested in and they're not quite ready to buy anyway, I'll still tell them, you know, let's, let's go take a look at it. There's no harm in going to look, and the more property I physically am in, the better buyer's agent and seller's agent I'm going to be in the future. So I encourage them to come out with me and take a look even if they're not ready for six months down the road. So you try to get a personal face-to-face -face contact as quickly as possible. Yes. Let's move into sellers. Why should the seller hire you? The first order of business, if I receive a name, phone number, etc., somebody contacts me and says, hey, I want to sell a home, the first thing I do is just talk to them a little bit. You know, find out what their story is. Where are they going? What are they doing? How long have they lived there? Just get to know them a little bit. Um, schedule an appointment to come and check out their property, and I'll walk through. I'll take some notes. I usually print off the county data that tells me what year the home was built, um, how many bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, etc. I'll take any notes on anything that differs from our county data. I write down the highlights. I ask them to give me the tour. When I show up, I say, you know, why don't you just show me around and, and tell me what you love about your home? And, and I take notes. I just listen. Um, I might notice a, a great feature and comment on it. If they have a great view or a fantastic fireplace detail or, or something, you know, I just interact with them like a normal person would instead of like a realtor would. So walk through the house, take notes, come back. I do a market analysis. Um, very recently I started screen sharing with them. So if, if I have a client who can't necessarily meet with me face-to-face -face or their hours are odd or something like that, I'm able to go through the multiple list with them and they can watch my presentation online. They can um, communicate with me uh, on my Gmail calling feature. Um, so I can actually dial the phone through Gmail, talk to them on my computer so I'm hands-free and I can navigate through all of the products that I want to show them. And primarily that's the multiple list. I show them what active comps are. I show them what under contract comps are. I show them what closed comparisons there have been in the last 90 days in their neighborhood with their similar floor plan style. We go through the actual comparative market analysis that I do that's a PDF. And then I show them my keynote presentation, which is five to seven minutes long, um, and tell them all about you know, what Century 21 can do for them, what I personally, Kate Hamlin, can do for them. I show them screenshots of different websites where their home is going to be featured. I show them snippets of virtual tours, the actual video itself of the virtual tour. Um, I show them a video for Century 21 agents in general that's part of the marketing campaign. It's fun, it's lighthearted, it's silly, um, but it's to the point. And so I just go through all of that. I tell them the benefits of our Century 21 Hometown Brokers Office. I go through what my personal stats were for the past calendar year. Um, I have a video testimonial in that presentation so that they can hear from someone who has hired me in the past what their experience has been like. Um, and then I show them what my credentials are, what, what my degree is in, what I did previous to being in real estate, what boards I'm involved in, what awards I've won, um, what committees I've, I've been on. So just tell them a little bit about me, and then, of course, it's up to them to decide if, if they're ready. Okay, so it sounds like you do a two-step presentation. You go out to the property, you take a look around, meet the folks, then you go back to your office and do some research, and then you make a presentation either back at the property 
or if they don't have a lot of time online. Is that is that correct? Yes. Do you also present a net sheet to them at that time to show them what all the costs are associated with the sale and, and try to get them down to a bottom number? Um, I usually give them a range in their comparative market analysis, and that's part of where looking at the multiple list live with them on screen sharing or just sitting next to me and going through it has been incredibly helpful for accurately pricing. A lot of times sellers come in with a notion of what they think their home is worth or what they want their home to be worth, and there's no better tool than just having them click through the multiple list with me so that they know I'm not hiding anything from them. They see it for themselves, and we can look at the history for the things that have been on the market. Um, we can see you know, frequently back to the mid-90s what things came on the market for, what they went under contract, if they took price reductions, what it sold for very powerful tool. And so <clears throat> that's been an effective way. Once we determine a price, then frequently we talk about a net sheet. Um, so yes, I do use I use Chicago Agent to help me with my net sheets and am able to plug in what their loan is, what their loan type, you know, project what a, a future closing date may be and give them kind of a bottom line number of, of what that's going to cost and email it off to them. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Do you typically have them sign the listing agreement Online, are you doing that electronically or are you doing that in person for your, your listing agreement? Um, in the past, when I very first started in the business, it was generally always standing next to each other. I do a very thorough explanation of the listing contract, which is five pages, so it doesn't take all that long, and we sign documents together. Um, the business has evolved a little bit, and now that electronic signatures are more commonplace. It has been a fantastic tool for my clients, especially the clients that are busy parents. Um, and it's not always easy for them to sit with three children in focus for 30 or 45 minutes while we go through contracts. So I'm able to turn things into a PDF and email it to them. Um, probably two years ago, I was at the point where they would be able to um, print it off, sign it, scan it, and email it back or fax it to me. Um, just recently, our multiple list um, our board of realty here in the Billings area has switched to using Transaction Desk, which comes with um, a built-in e-signature program called AuthentiSign, which has been incredibly handy for my out-of-state clients and clients who don't necessarily have a printer where they're at or a fax machine. They can get on and use a link and sign in and just click for their signature. So that's been a fantastic addition to my business recently. And very, very recently, a couple of months ago, I purchased an iPad 2, and I had my first listing contract signed actually on my iPad um, with a stylus, and I was able to turn it into a PDF and email it out to him immediately after he finished signing in his home. Wow. It was cool. Do you ever send out a pre-listing package before you get together? No. Do you ever have an issue with seller commission objections? And if so, how do you handle them? I don't frequently have objections. Where it comes up most, I would say, is if there is a negotiation that's fairly tight 
after the listing agreement is signed, and they look to me and say, can you help out here? And that's probably only happened to me three or four times in the duration of my career. And my response, generally speaking, is I can't want this more than you. And so if you don't want for this negotiation to be successful, I'm not willing to chip in on it either. My job is to market your home and find a willing, able, and ready buyer. And we have one. And so really the negotiations are between you, Mr. Seller, and the buyer. Yes. And if I ever have objection handling that I have to do in the beginning, um, what I have found effective is if you list your property with me and you purchase a property with me, then I will give you a discount on that commission in the beginning for being a loyal customer. If you're not ready to purchase a property afterwards or you choose to purchase a property without my assistance, then I can't give you a break on the commission. And is that a standard thing that you offer up front, or is that something that just comes up if they ask? I would say, generally speaking, I bring it up if I feel like I have a good relationship with this client and I want to work with this client moving forward. I think we all have those clients that we've worked with in the past that no matter how perfect you are, there's always something that's going to upset them. And sometimes you don't want to move forward with that client after the listing has successfully closed or expired, etc. And so for those clients, no. You know, if, if somebody is friendly and pleasant and good to work with, absolutely. I want to give the discount to the people that deserve it, in my opinion, not the people that are going to try and beat me down with a stick. Well, after you take the listing, you need to market that home to find a buyer. What are the methods that you use to sell a property? Probably one of the most effective things I can do for them doesn't really cost me any dollars, which is our Century 21 weekly tour that we do at our office. Our office meetings have phenomenal attendance because we tie our floor time into how many meetings you've attended. So every Tuesday morning at 8.30, we have our Century 21 weekly meeting. The attendance is tracked. It's also tracked if we tour all of our own new listings, which is what we do every week after our meeting. So our meeting usually typically lasts 30 to 45 minutes. We talk about our new listings. We talk about anything educational that we need to cover. We talk about some of the benefits, if anything has changed with either our office or with Century 21 Corporate. Um, they're always very informative and good meetings to attend. My broker does a fantastic job of making them worthwhile, so it's very easy to go. You feel like you're missing out if you miss one of our meetings. After those meetings, when we tour all of our own new listings, um, it's only the Century 21 listings that we tour, and we have an office of 40 to 50 agents, which is pretty large for our community size. Um, and we do, we're the number one franchise in Billings. We, we have one other brokerage that we're usually pretty neck and neck with, um, but we've been number one in market share for probably the last five years at our office. So it's pretty powerful to come home after tour and see that you have 40 to 50 Century 21 agent cards sitting on your countertop. Um, when all of those agents are working with most likely five to seven buyers at any given time. So some of the best marketing I can do is that. I also hire a professional photographer. That's kind of a controversial subject in our local market, but I personally believe that it's my job to get a buyer to click on the listing and schedule the appointment to come look at it. And it's my 
seller's job to keep the property looking as good as the professional photos turn out. So my job is to get them through the front door, and I do believe that I have more showings on my listings because of those professional photographer photos. So many people in our marketplace have really bad dark photos that you can't even tell if you're looking at a dining room or a bedroom. So I personally think that that's an asset. Um, we do have a full-page Century 21 color ad in our local newspaper. Um, print media has not yet died in Billings. Um, I would say it's, it's going more by the wayside every year, but we still do have our marketplace looking in our local newspaper every time they want to find an open house. So when there's an open house, we do market in a full-page color ad. It's a very big and well laid out. It's a good looking ad. It's easy to read. And so we do that for open houses. I make flyers um, that are not just your average standard Word document flyer when I do open houses. So those are available for people to take with them. I generally try and use a higher quality paper so that if they have four or five homes that they visited that day that, that my flyer might stand out a little bit more to them, not just because hopefully it's more attractive, but it's also on a better weight of paper. On that flyer, I put a QR code. I know those are a little bit controversial in the real estate industry right now as far as whether or not they're trackable, but I use Google to, to uh, create those QR codes. And I can track how many people have clicked on that or scanned it, rather with their phone, I can tell what operating system they're using to, to utilize that QR code. I can see how long they spent on the site. So it's, it's a good tool for me, and the sellers like it. I'm not sure it's going to bring in a new buyer, but the sellers like it. It's just one more piece of candy I can give to them, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. Um, that usually links back to their virtual tour or just to my personal website where they're one of the featured pages. It'll, if they scan that QR code, it'll go directly to that property's featured page on my website. So it's also a good way for me to bring people back to my website to look as well. Um, I do blog on occasion. I, I was a daily blogger up until about the end of March when literally my brain fell out of ideas. <clears throat> So I'm not as regular anymore, but that's a good way for people to, to gather information. And, and sometimes I talk about listings on my blog, so that's a potential for my sellers. I have a Facebook page as well. I use the Realtor.com feature to see my listings. So my listings are on my Facebook page. I am on Twitter as well to try and engage people in my local market and hopefully tie them back to be being looking at my my listings. I, I have a Goomzy sign in the front yard of my listings, which is the text this number to this number to get more information for the property. And it also sends photos of the property. And I like that better than flyer boxes because it's trackable. I know how many people are inquiring, whereas flyer boxes just empty themselves, it seems like, or they get wet. It's not a good marketing tactic, in my opinion, if I can't track it. Um, what else do I do? We have one of the largest Yellow Pages ads uh, for our, our local area for Century 21. So that way people can find us on the weekend at night and you don't necessarily have to be technology savvy in order to track us down to look at one of our listings. Um, and I've started doing video tours of my listings. I'm 
I'm not the best videographer in, in the whole wide world, but it has helped for those out-of-state clients that, you know, they just want to see everything humanly possible and the professional photos generally do the job, but when they just keep asking for more information, I've gone out and done a 360-degree spin of here's what the neighborhood looks like outside of the driveway, and then I do a fly-through of the house with the video. I walk through... Um, and then I edit that in iMovie on my computer and upload it to YouTube. So that has been a helpful resource as well for my clients. So for my sellers, that's a pretty comprehensive package. Goonie, is that what you said? How do you spell Goonie? It's G-O-O-M, as in Mary, Z-E-E, Goomzy. And it's a, it's, it's not exactly a text message campaign, but it's just information provided to them. So I have my yard sign, and then right next to my yard sign, there's a little um, corrugated plastic sign that gets stuck in on a metal, you know, H sign holder, I guess. I don't know what else to call that. Um, and, and so my, my listings all have that. So any buyer that drives by, instead of having a flyer box, there's just this number that they can text to. And it's a non-invasive way. If they're not going to call me because they don't want to talk to a realtor necessarily, but they want the info, if they want the info bad enough, they're going to text it. And so I, I get several inquiries that way. I have not successfully transitioned those into successful leads. Frequently people don't want to interact with me, but I do get notification immediately via text message and an email that, a number has inquired, it gives me, of course, their, their cell phone number because that's what they've texted from. So it does capture, even though it, those people aren't necessarily ready to be converted, otherwise they would have called. Do you call those people back? Um, I do not call, but there is, Goomzy has an automated deal. So um, immediately after they initiate that inquiry, the first thing that gets sent back to them, there's going to be three text messages that are sent to them, and there's a time delay on them. The first one happens immediately, and that gives you know square footage, bedroom, bathroom, description, price. It's going to give them the basics. Um, the second message that follows about 30 seconds after that are the photos, and you can put up to eight photos of the property. Um, and then another text message will follow that, and that text message looks like it's directly from me that says, hey, I'm available. If you want me to open that property for you, I'd be happy to come over and do that. So you can send one of two different messages, um, and it depends. You can set it to send depending on what hour of the day it is. So if somebody inquires at 2 in the morning, of course, um, my auto response is not, hey, do you want me to come over and open that property for you? But my response is, here's a link to a website where you can find even more information, and it will link them back to whatever website I send them. And so that looks like it comes directly from me, even though I personally don't have to send it. And have you set up any showings through this method? I have not set up showings through this method. However, I know other realtors in my association have been effective at closing some of them. So I think I haven't had anyone that's inquired on my personal properties ready to be converted, but it's happened in my marketplace. In your process of preparing homes, do you participate in staging? I personally do not try and stage the property, but I do generally suggest a stager if I feel like something 
uh, more drastic is necessary, whether it be paint color, furniture arrangement, uh, anything that kind of falls into that staging category. If I have a vacant home that needs a few extra personal touches and they have some good looking furniture that they've already put in there to do the bulk of the staging, I have a house right now, for instance, where I have stripped two of the bathrooms in my house um, and part of my kitchen for staging materials like rugs and towels and such. So um, I do a little bit here and there, but I don't have enough product in my personal inventory to be able to stage all 14 of my listings, for instance. But um, on occasion, I have been known to, to set a table and put out placemats and nice silverware and, and make it look like they're ready for a dinner party type of thing. Um, but I'm not equipped to do that on a large-scale basis. But I do frequently um, ask my clients to interact with stagers in my marketplace that are connections of mine. And I have had clients hire those, and it has led to um, A, good professional photos because it's attractively staged, and B, in my opinion, a faster and higher dollar sale. Do you participate in open houses? I do. I do not believe that it's what sells listings, and I have that conversation to set expectations with my sellers up front. I personally believe every six to eight weeks is plenty um, for the frequency of open houses, and I generally kind of gauge what my sellers' wants and desires are um, before I, I dive into any sort of set schedule on open houses for my listings. I do think that they're a good tool to pick up new buyers, and I'm honest about that with my sellers, that you know, most likely what this is going to be are people that haven't chosen an agent yet, um, the neighbors down the street that are curious about your property, uh, tire kickers, you know, people that just really love to look at property after church on Sunday and they don't really ever have any intention of buying, but this is kind of their pastime. We have some of those that come through open houses. You know, probably 15% of the people that come through houses are going to be people that eventually convert purchase in this price range in this neighborhood. And, you know, the likely, the likely buyer, in my personal opinion, if they're ready, willing, and able, they're going to have a realtor. And if they have a realtor, they're going to schedule a time to look at the property when it's not an open house. So I don't think it's a good tool for selling a property, but I think it's a, a mildly good tool for picking up new clients depending on your personality type. We have agents that pick up tons of new clients at open houses because they're bubbly and they're cheery and they make you their best friend within 30 seconds of you walking through that door. I personally am, am more of a person that if I was to enter an open house, I would rather be left alone. I want to look at the home. If I have questions, I'll approach you. And so I try and be warm and friendly when people come into an open house, but I don't think my personality type is conducive to picking up successful good generation of leads at an open house. So I have to ask the follow-up question. If it's not selling the home and if you're not generating buyers, why do the open houses? I don't do them frequently, but I have successfully picked up clients in the past and I have on probably 1% to 5% of the time actually sold a home because of an open house. Um, so there is that possibility, and I think that um, it's good for me to step outside of my comfort zone and 
learn how to be a better open house host to be able to pick up leads. Other agents in my market can successfully do it, and so I just need to find that niche that, that I can be successful to. And I never, ever am going to be successful if I don't keep trying. Do you provide showing feedback to your sellers? I do a manual follow-up on all showings that occur. So we have the, the Supra E-Key lockbox system that I'm assuming most other agents across the country use. They're a blue lockbox that goes on and, and your software that you either have on a, a separate device or on your phone has to get updated every 24 hours. So whoever opens the lockbox, it records who that was. And it, I have it set up so that it automatically emails me when a showing happens. And I follow up via email 95% of the time and occasionally a phone call, depending on how well I know that agent and if I need to talk to them about anything else. So whenever I email out to that agent asking for feedback, I blind carbon copy my client so they see that I have followed up. And then I generally just forward that response without adjusting anything. I don't soften the blow. I don't harshen the blow. I just forward that feedback directly to my client and then we communicate further about that. And, you know, if there's an odor that needs to be remediated or if there's a price discussion that we need to have because we've had six or seven comments based on price, it's, it's a good tool to open that conversation with. Let's move forward. Say you've successfully negotiated a contract on one of your listings. I assume that there's a, an inspection that happens and, and thereafter an inspection negotiation. During those inspection negotiations, how are those going for you? Do you have a certain technique that you use? I wouldn't say that I have a specific technique that I use. I, I just listened to uh, an online class a couple of weeks ago about negotiations. And I'm, I'm a pretty neutral nego negotiator, I would say. If something comes in and I'm representing a seller, an inspection generally gets done, yes, by a buyer. The buyer pays for it. The buyer gets with the buyer's agent, outlines the few points, sometimes several points, that are bothering them. We call them deal breakers, but they identify what's bothering them, they send us a notice saying we would like to either terminate the transaction or we would like to negotiate the transaction. If they choose to negotiate, which they do 95% of the time, then they give us the steps they want us to take to remediate that. So I simply go through and talk about the pros and the cons with my sellers. Every seller handles that conversation a little bit different. Some are very, very offended and and get angry and, and like to yell. Um, others are scared that the whole thing's going to fall apart and they just have fear as their response. But generally speaking, I just go through them item by item and say, you know, I see this on a lot of homes or gosh, this is a new one. What can we do to solve this problem? They're asking us for this. And, and I just ask my seller, how do you feel about this list that they gave you? Are you comfortable fixing these? Um, you know, they've asked for us to have these things solved in this manner, and if you're uncomfortable with that, maybe we can suggest it in this manner over here. And so I just help them work through it. Um, sometimes they need to, to sleep on it and settle down overnight, and it's okay for them to be mad or offended. We just go at it the next day. Um, 
and work through the issues and, and respond accordingly. So I, I don't know as though I have a specific tactic other than what is my seller feel is going to be the best for them. It's their home. It's their money. I can't tell them how they need to spend it. However, I can give them expertise and knowledge on, on who to call, what it might cost, if it's normal or not, and to decide if this is something that the next buyer is also going to ask for or is this a very unusual thing that's specific to this buyer in our opinion. So we just kind of go through the pros and the cons and, and work through it. Do most of your inspection negotiations end with the work being done or with some type of uh, cash settlement or concession? I would say probably 20% of it ends with a cash settlement and 80% of the time it ends with the work being completed. Do you ever try to preempt these issues by having a pre-listing inspection? No. I, I have suggested it in the past, but generally speaking, a seller, in my experience, whenever I've brought this up, a seller is not excited about spending the money to have that inspection done especially if they're in a position where they're not willing to fix anything that might come up. So it's not a common practice in our, in our region, I guess I would say, or at least in the Billings area, it's not common to have a seller inspection done in advance. Probably only 2% of the listings have that. Uh, more frequently, if somebody has an inspection, it's because they had a buyer and the buyer did an inspection and they couldn't negotiate through it and they have the inspection left over. And so that's probably more common. Do you ever recommend that your sellers purchase a home warranty during that listing phase? No. Um, warranties are very much a rare case in our region. I don't know why we're different than a lot of other marketplaces, but I have found as a listing agent especially that if a buyer comes from certain specific other regions, and California is one of them, it's unheard of for that buyer to purchase a home without a home warranty. They think it's absurd. It's it's very much out of the norm for them to think about not having a warranty. But here in our marketplace, it's very uncommon to have a warranty. I believe that the agents in our area, with the exception of a few, are biased, um, have had a negative experience, feel like you're paying for something that you won't really get a benefit out of. I personally don't have that opinion, but that's the talk that I have heard around town is that, you know, you pay $400 for a home warranty, and if something happens, not only do you pay a deductible, but frequently they won't fix it anyway because they have a clause in there that says, no, I'm sorry, this isn't covered. So... I think there's a kind of a general negative attitude about the home warranties in, in my region. Whether or not they're warranted, I don't know. Do you attend your closings? I do. Do you do anything special for your client at the closing? I generally always get them some sort of a gift that's personalized to them and their family, as well as a card and congratulatory hug. Generally speaking, we know each other well enough for that at the end. Uh, do you ask for testimonials from these folks? Um, my office does send out a feedback form and asks for a testimonial video and if they're comfortable with that being published to Facebook, etc. So I personally do not ask for a testimonial, but my office asks for it for me at the same time they're asking for feedback on that form. So there are several different areas that they ask 
to assess our knowledge of the market, our knowledge of the contract, our professionalism, um, our accessibility, if they would use us again, if they would recommend us to a friend, and then there's some open areas to discuss how is your experience with our office staff, and do you have anything that you'd like to comment about this particular agent? And then, of course, at the bottom it asks, are you comfortable giving us um, a video testimonial, and can we use your name and your comments in our marketing? And so it's a pretty comprehensive one piece of paper that they send out after closing. And have you received testimonials from that? I have. And you've been able to use those in your marketing? Yes, I have one on my landing page for my website and have used it on Facebook as well. In fact, it's tied into my listing presentation. So, yes, I have used those effectively. Let's shift gears and talk about buyers for a minute. Why would a buyer hire you? I personally believe that there's two reasons possibly three, where I stand out above and beyond many of my competitors, I am very accessible, almost to a fault. Um, I'm available whenever my clients need me at the time that they would like, whether that's 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning or 9 o'clock on a weeknight or weekend. I try and be available to my clients whenever they need me. I am quick to respond to text, email, phone calls for my clients. And, and kind of really tailor myself to them. I don't have children, and my husband and I are very independent, so I'm able to be there for them when they need me. The second is I do have a higher degree of education than many of my compatriots, um, and so I'm able to use that to analyze things possibly a little bit better. I'm, I'm very good at math and statistics, and so if they ask me, gosh, what should I offer on this property, I'm able to walk them through the multiple lists successfully and say, well, here's what the average has been, here's what the low has been, here's what the high has been, and we can make that an educated decision instead of just either an off-the-cuff answer or no answer at all. Um, I try and keep it professional, but fun. You know, buyers... I love working with buyers. It's my favorite part of this business. Generally speaking, buyers are more bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they're excited about what they're doing, generally speaking, whereas we're selling is more stressful. It's a hurry-up-and-wait process. Generally speaking, what you hope you're going to get, you don't get. It's a more stressful situation. But buyers hold more of the power, in my personal opinion, um, especially right now we're in a buyer's market, but buyers are fun. Buyers are fun to work with, um, and, and so I, I would say that's what makes me more competitive than, than the rest of my competition. Do you try to qualify your buyers over the phone, or do you try to set an appointment to sit down with them? I prefer to set up an appointment to sit down with them, but it depends on their urgency level, I would say. If they want to know what properties are available right this second and they can't meet until next week, we'll have a phone conversation and I'll try and schedule an appointment to follow up and meet with them face-to-face. -face. If, if they're calling and it's just a general inquiry, um, I'm thinking about maybe buying eventually, they don't seem to be in a big hurry, then I will schedule an appointment to meet face-to-face. -face. Ask them if they want to be set up on an automated search. Give them some tools that if they want to do some homework in the meantime, they have some available to them, but really do the bulk of the, the chat face-to-face. -face. I assume before you take them out to look at property, you qualify them 
for motivation and also financing. Do you use a lender to help you with the qualifying on the financing or do you do that yourself? I definitely use a lender. Um, My personal experience is it's good to get them with somebody that they can start building a rapport with as well as the rules just change so frequently. I feel like it's not my place to try and sit down and determine ratios with them and what the best product is going to be because I might not know that there's a product out there that fits them and and the lender might be able to qualify them when I might think that they're not qualifiable. Do you try to introduce that lender before you go out and look at any property or does it happen afterwards? Ideally, I love to get them at least on the phone with a lender and get that pre-approval letter in their hand before we go out. My success rate in having that actually occur, way lower than what I want. But I always try and be friendly um, but persuasive in, in asking for that phone call to occur. So you'll take a buyer out if they have not spoken with the lender yet? I will at least once. Do you practice buyer agency in your market? We do, but in our market, it's general to have that agency, well, established, I guess I would say. The buyer broker frequently is not signed in our marketplace until an offer is being written. And so um, we've been criticized by several instructors from across the country that in essence we're acting as if we have open listings because our buyers are not signed with us. However, it's very uncommon in our market to find that buyer brokerage prior to making an offer on a property. Do you, do you have a pre-buyer package that you send out to the buyer before you get together? No. You do or you don't have a presentation you make to a buyer before you start showing property? I do not have a presentation. I've, I've thought about making one. I've sat down with that intent. I started making a checklist to to, um, as you mentioned earlier, determine motivation, um, needs, just really kind of have a formal process that I go through instead of having it be a more informal discussion where I just glean information. I have not been able to successfully create something that I feel is good quality that has good information on it, whether it be for a buyer presentation or a checklist. I've been struggling with that since March to be honest. Um, So I'm not sure if I'll ever get that developed or not into an effective um, strategy for either a a checklist or presentation, but I'm I'm attempting, let's put it that way. When you talk in your first conversation with the buyer, do you have a list of questions that you want to get through with them, or are you just winging it? Um, I guess my experience gives me you know, more on a subconscious level. I I know what topics I want to cover, but they're not written down anywhere. So it's very open. It's very open. Do you have a system to help a buyer find a home? Um, Not anything more extravagant than what our multiple list provides. As I mentioned, um, I can set them up on a multiple list search. And so I I can ask them what part of town do you want to be in, what's the minimum number of bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, garage number. Um, You know, we can specify a tremendous amount of 
qualifiable information in our multiple list for them to try and narrow down what they want for their home search. We can do that either by drawing shapes on a map and searching that way, which I find to be less reliable because the information is only as good as the person who's inputting the information into the multiple list, or I find it more effectively to just choose what area of town, um, which it's a numbered system, 1 through 10 is Billings metro area. So if somebody's interested in living in downtown Billings, for instance, that would be area 6. And so I find it more effective to search by area that way than by map. But we set them up on an automated search, and they can choose to get those listings as soon as they hit the market. They can choose to get them daily, or they could choose to get them weekly or every two weeks even if they wanted. Um, most everybody signs up for as soon as possible so that they can see that change as soon as it hits our marketplace, whether it be a status change, a price change, a new listing, an expiration, etc. So that's the most effective way that I have. I also give them my website um, where they can do a little bit more investigative work if they feel like maybe they want to look into something outside of that criteria that we set up and they're not quite sure if they want to call me to make those changes to their search yet or not. And you know, let's face it, buyers like to be more interactive with the process than just waiting for an email to show up. Um, I also have an availability to, my website provides me an IDX website that I can give to people to search on their mobile phones, which is a pretty cool product. It's not brandable yet, but if they go to katehamlin.com forward slash mobile and they're in the Billings Area Multiple List location, they're, they're able to type that in with their phone, go to their browser, and then if they pull up to a home, for instance, and it doesn't have to just be a Century 21 listing, but anything that's in the MLS, they can type in the address, they can read the description, view all the photos, see all of the data that's entered into the multiple list, like how big the lot size is, the square footage of the home, etc. Um, they can see all of that right on their, their handheld device, whether it's a, a tablet or a, a phone. And so that's a pretty useful tool that I am able to give my buyers as well. Well, you seem pretty well organized. Do you have uh, systems and checklists, say, when a listing comes in or when a buyer comes in to make sure you don't miss anything? Just my little brain power. No, I do not have any systems or checklists in place. Time management. How do you keep control of your time? Gosh, that's a fantastic question. I think the best answer that I can give you is I really do utilize my online calendar that interfaces not just with my laptop but also my my phone and my iPad and I'm able to very effectively schedule appointments and time to get in between appointments. I can see exactly what's going on for my day and plan accordingly. Um, as far as if, if you're looking to have an answer that includes, you know, do you have life balance? Um, what do you do for extracurricular type activities and how, how, what percentage of time do you do that versus work? I don't know as though I have a good answer for that. Do you have balance in your life? You know, sometimes I have way too much balance in my life. Um, the unfortunate part about being in real estate, as I'm sure you're aware, is sometimes you're busy and sometimes you're not. And so I find that occasionally I take too much business and don't have enough personalized time, but those times are pretty rare, and so I will welcome them with open arms when they happen, much more so than the opposite for when the phone 
seemingly just stops ringing altogether. Um, I do try and keep a pretty healthy life balance. I really love to dance, and I I have at least a once-a-week commitment for that for a couple of hours that I try and stick to whether I'm busy at work or not and just work around it as if it's any other appointment that I have on my calendar. And similarly speaking, my husband and I have a date night that, you know, at 7.30 every Wednesday night, almost without fail, that's our time together. And occasionally, if something comes up where we really need to move it to a Thursday or a Tuesday, we will. But we really do try and dedicate at least one night per week to spend together so that we don't get too far distanced apart. How many hours do you think you work in a typical week? Oh, goodness. You know, it varies drastically. This winter, the phone all but stopped ringing altogether. It was a very scary period of my career. I would have paid to work at that point, you know. Um, Right now, the last couple of weeks have been unusually busy for me, and I've probably been putting in 14-hour days, six or seven days a week. Um, I don't even know how many hours that adds up to, and I'm afraid to multiply it out, to be honest. Um, But generally speaking, I do have a much more balanced career. I would say between 30 and 60 on any given week is probably what I normally put in during a period where I am producing my normal kind of 29, 28, 29 to 30 to 35 transactions. That's That's been a very standard number for me over the years. Do you have a business plan? I have sat down and attempted to make a business plan in the past because I've, I've been on um, committees and, and, gosh, I guess I would just call it a, a team where we went out and helped people sit down and make business plans. But I find that when I think of a business plan, I think of something that would make a business bankable. You know, you could take it to the bank, you can get a loan because of it. And I find in real estate that it's almost impossible for me to write a business plan like what I would consider a business plan from um, a, a school of business type of standpoint. But I do write down goals each year for um, how am I going to increase my business, how am I going to keep a life balance. You know, from that standpoint, yes, I have plans and goals, but I'm not sure I would effectively call it a business plan. Do you track your numbers? Do you have a system for tracking numbers? If so, what what kind of metrics do you like to monitor in your business? Um, I used to be the tracking queen with my Excel spreadsheets. Um, it was a little bit ridiculous, to be perfectly honest. Um, I would put in each new contract that I had, and I would have each listing have its own line, the price of the listing or the price that the contract had been agreed on, the date that it was supposed to close. Um, I would then, you know, multiply out what the contribution to Century 121 Corporate was going to be, what the contribution to my local franchise was going to be, what my commission income was going to be. I would track all of those things. I would also track, is this a family that I'm helping? Is this Um, a single male? Is this a single female? Is this a couple? Are they white color? Are they blue color? I tracked a lot of information. And I found after about four years of tracking that there wasn't a lot to be learned because I don't really help one market segment any more than I help the others. So there wasn't really an effective 
marketing plan that I could extract out of all of that tracked data. I, I evaluated how many times I was a listing agent, how many times I was the selling agent, how many times I was a dual agent. There didn't appear to be any notable information in, in that. I even compiled all of this data and gave it to um, an actual advertising agency and said, please help me take these numbers and formulate them into something that I can do effectively with my marketing. And they looked at me like I was insane and they said, we have Fortune 500 companies that don't track their business as well as this. And I said, well, great, then help me do something with it. And they said, well, we don't really know what to do with it is the problem because in real estate, I'm not sure how to help you. So I tried that method for a long time and you know, it, it was good to know how many closings have I had year to date. And so I could kind of see when my business was starting to slow down more than just by kind of a gut check, you know, oh gosh, I've got three or four in escrow right now versus, gee, I have 15 in escrow. Uh, but the tracking wasn't really helping me. So I, I kind of just left that to my office to track instead of using my super nerdy Excel spreadsheet that I had built. And the office tracks how many closings we've had in the last six months and the office tracks my expenses, and the office tracks my, my income, and, and I've just kind of left that to be one of the things I don't need to be quite as neurotic about anymore. Let's talk about motivation, goals, the mental game. What drives you? Helping somebody successfully meet their real estate goal is what drives me, especially on the buying side. I love, love, love to see a buyer smiling at the closing table and having them love the property that they're in and never ever wanting to leave and having it be a really truly good fit for them and for their life. Um, I don't, I try not to work on a transactional basis if that makes any sense. I don't want to sell somebody a home just because I want to sell a home. I want to sell somebody a home because it's the right thing for them in the phase of life that they're in. If I think that a year or two or five from now, it's going to be a bad decision financially or emotionally or for whatever reason. I'm going to advise them of that up front. I would rather have them be happy in an apartment than an upset homeowner in the future if, if they already know what their goals are. And so I try and fit that, our market data, into what their needs and expectations are and, and meeting that successfully just really makes me tick. Well, Kate, putting the needs of your client before your own explains why you've been so successful. You've combined your analytical skills, your networking talents, and your passion to meet your client's expectations into a powerful magnet that draws business to you. Your father would be proud of you, and I'm grateful to know you. Thank you again for being our Rising Agent of the Month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV.
R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.